Good evening. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Kumar. Rekas Reyes from PSG, uh, Wealth of Reimsich, and Ron Pierfestad from Priority Capital Management are joining me now to unpack your stock-related questions this evening. Uh, please do send those questions via SMS to 41392. Email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. And uh, nice to welcome you in with a laugh. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's quite a lot that uh, was happening today with international banks. So we had, um, after the downgrade of the U.S. economy last week, Moody's coming in and downgrading uh, quite a number of banks, uh, small, uh, medium banks in the U.S., and also putting some of the big banks on downgrade watch. And then uh, across the Atlantic, we had uh, Italy, the government of Italy, saying that they are imposing a windfall tax on the excess profits of Italian banks. Uh, so we did have those bank shares uh, plummeting and then we had uh, that filter through to some others in Europe. But I want to start off with you, JP, since you do have a knack for international banks. Uh, is this enough to sour sentiment, particularly for those international banks or not? For sentiment, yes. Uh, and sent sentiment has soured a bit. But I do believe it's mostly short-term in nature. If you look at the quantification of that Italian bank tax, the windfall tax, it won't have, have that a significant impact. Or let's say the impact will be less on profits than the percentage that the share prices have fallen today because of the souring of that sentiment. So while sentiment has soured a bit, I think the fundamentals of the banking sector globally, especially in Europe, is still strong. Remember, we had that wobble in the US a few months ago um, because they don't reprice their deposits so quickly. So then a wall of money flows out of the banks into money market funds, which was an issue for a lot of banks. You don't have that in Europe. You don't have that in South Africa. Our deposits reprice as benchmark rates reprice. So the South African bank sector is healthy. The European bank sector is healthy. And the US is working through their bank issues. So I'm still a holder of international bank shares. As you said, we do hold quite a few of these, uh, especially European bank shares. And I'm still bullish on it because most of the valuations are at book value or near book value, while the returns on capital are starting to exceed the cost of capital, and that justifies valuations significantly above the book value per share of these bank shares. Yeah, all right. Uh, so saying that those banks are still healthy, even though a sentiment has kind of soured a little bit. Um, Rickus, does that on any level kind of make our local banks more attractive, part particularly looking at the numbers that we saw out of Nedbank today? Yeah, and, and time will seen with um, Standard Bank's numbers. I think the ESA banking stocks um, is one particular area of the market that's probably off offering quite a bit of value. So I'm quite <clears throat> happy to be in them at the moment while we are struggling with um, a non-growth economy. Obviously, um, should things in the hopefully future get better then, um, financials are quite boring to be in, but but while we are sitting in turmoil and considering the type of um, margins that they are sitting with, the type of dividend yield they are sitting in, the type of valuations they are sitting in, sitting at, um, yeah, I think it's a very attractive sector to be in. 
Ah, all right. Well, talking about something else that uh, investors saw as attractive today is Hulamin. Uh, there is a question on it. Of course, we saw that uh, share price surging 20%. Um, and that is after they uh, put out, was it a, a trading statement, if I am correct, an interim a trading statement? Yes, it was a trading statement. Um, so the question goes, how does the panel view Hulamin after the stock increased strongly today? After good interim uh, operating results were released today, um, of course, the uh, viewer goes on and talks about the metrics. So normalized headline earnings per share will be up uh, as much as 103%. Um, and then also uh, goes on about the nature of the business. Uh, 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 so uh, saying that it does not actually make the aluminium. Um, and then more comments here. It seems that the price for aluminium products could potentially be on a long upward trend. If you look at the stock price over a five-year view, does the panel think it is worth taking a long-term position in Hulamin? JP? So I'm not a Hulamin fan. I know it's very cheap at the moment. So they're going to make a rand for the half year. If you analyze that, and you can't necessarily, but let's let's do that. You can say maybe they'll make two, two rand for the full year. And the share price is at three rand. So it's like trading at like one and a half times PE. I mean, that's cheap. Yeah. Cheap as chips. Uh, the problem is that Uleman has been cheap before. And it's cheap for a reason and has been cheap for a reason. And that is that the earnings are extremely volatile. The capital intensity of the business is very high. So the profits that you see at the bottom of the income statement normally finds its way back onto the balance sheet rather than into the pockets of shareholders. And then furthermore, yes, they do not produce aluminium, but they, they take aluminium and, uh, and make finished products from them by um, adding value. And part of that value-added process of, of producing value-added products from aluminium requires electricity. And if there's one thing we have a shortage of in this country, Senati, it's unfortunately electricity. Now, they've got a specific deal, uh, Uleman. So they're not quite in the same precarious position as households. But still, with costs rising, uh, a weak rand is good for them. But maybe we've seen the worst of the rand weakening now in the rear mirror. And a very capital-intensive business, a commodity business, in terms of you can have aluminium product uh, manufacturers around the world to compete against. I'm not a huge fan of Uleman, even though it's very, very cheap at the moment. Hmm. All right. Quite an interesting uh, one there, JP, because usually when something is cheap as chips, uh, investors, that's the time when investors go in. And of course, as we have seen today, uh, Rikas, your take on Huleman and uh, on a five-year view as well, what would be your take on it? So yes, yes. The thing, and I can agree with what JP said, because of the, um, the up and down of earnings, depending on what they buy the aluminium for, what they, what, you know, at what price it's, it's in stock, what they actually, at what price they convert it into finished product. Um, your earnings can be up and down all over the place. The one thing I think that has changed is management because apart from the, um, from the earning cycle that it's unfortunately bound to, it's also been over the past number of years, I don't think a very well run company. That seems to have changed. Um, they've been concentrating on, on being more cost effective, which helps in this kind of business. Um, they are, they are concentrating on things like recycling, um, aluminium, which is less energy intensive than, 
than um, working with the overall product itself, that's going to help. So we've got management, we've got better efficiency operation. Longer term, there's also a, um, a change in the market for aluminium. It's not only cans these days, but there's quite a, quite a push towards um, electric vehicles which uses aluminium as part of their bodywork. So that is <clears throat> a better future for the product that this now, but it's not going to reduce the um, the um, the earnings cycle that they are, as I said, bound to. So it's a better looking operation, but it's still, I think, one that I would rather trade than invest in because you you never know what's going to happen the year after next. Doesn't matter how well they run the company. Yeah, all right. I hear you on that point. Well, let's move on to more questions. Uh, this one is on Novus Holdings. Um, I see that A2 Investments just bought over 95 million rand in additional shares at 3 rand 15 of Novus Holdings today, and the shares up over 7%. Well, actually, now last time I checked, it was up over 9% um, to the uh, about 3 rand 40. Does the panel have any idea what might be behind this? Is it that uh, buying by A2 Investments, JP? So a long time ago, Zanati, I learned the very important point that for every buyer, there's a seller. And uh, in markets, that is a, a iron rule, like, uh, like the rules of nature. So for every share that is sold, there must be both a buyer and a seller. So while A2 Investments have been buying a lot of Novus shares, another big investor, Value Capital Partners, were the sellers of those shares. And that announcement came, I think it was a day or two ago. So um, the one has got a positive view about the company going forward, the other one less of a positive view. Uh, A2 Investments is already a significant shareholder in Novus. Mm. They've made a host of changes, positive changes. They've really assisted with better capital allocation in terms of buying the Pearson uh, book business, uh, education book business, um, with a lot of cash that Novus had on the balance sheet. And that seems to have been a good deal. It's a little bit complicated at the moment because you can't necessarily analyze the Pearson contribution for part of the history of Novus. But looking forward, it does again look cheap maybe not as cheap as chips but uh, still cheap and on this one i'm actually a little bit more positive we own some nervous in our funds and i do think with 18 investments really getting them to focus on better capital allocation it's one you could put in the bottom drawer in a few years' time. If they are successful in their endeavors, there could be a significant value unlock in Novus. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, second part of that uh, comment is I think A2 Investments already owns over 60% of Novus shares, as JP mentioned. And I'm wondering what lies behind this increase in shareholding and whether the panel has any ideas what lies behind this, uh, JP already mentioning. Um, uh, Rickus, uh, what do you make of the uh, kind of shifts in that shareholding and would this be one that uh, you would be bagging? Well, as, um, as JP said, the um, I think Value Capital Partners have made the money. They said, okay, let's, 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 let's give it over to somebody else. As far as the company itself is concerned, the, um, the, Pearson, the Pearson's deal can change a lot as far as the company is concerned. I think it's um, they've it's a very interesting market as far as educational publishing is concerned and the type of um, growth we are seeing, or specifically the, the way Pearson is, is going away from, you know, just printing a textbook basically or publishing a journal to, um, to um, go into the online 
arena sales. I find that very interesting. The packaging side of things probably boring, and um, and certainly it's a far more efficient company than it was when it was still pulp printers. Mm, all right. Um, we do have a minute to go, but uh, I quickly want to go to JP on a Pip or Mr. Price or both. A minute to win it. Yeah. Um, between the two, I would choose Mr. Price. That's my preference. I think there's a big share overhang with Pepco because you have these uh, new owners of Steinoff and therefore indirectly new owners of a big chunk of Pepco that will be selling Pepco. So people know there's a lot of shares coming onto the market from Steinoff Investments, uh, the South African holding company in the middle. Um, and I do think that Mr. Price over time has been a better operator, although I see recently that a change in senior management, I think the CFO uh, stepped down and they made a, a few blunders, maybe perhaps with, uh, with some of their recent acquisitions and even some fashion choices. Um, but for the long term at the current prices, I would have a preference for Mr. Price. Um, Rikas, would you be going in, into any of those or maybe would you prefer another clothing retailer? Well, as you said, um, do you want to be in clothing retail in the first place? Um, yeah. Possibly. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm not. It hasn't. It hasn't ticked all the boxes for me yet. But if I, but if one takes a look at those two, basically both cash retailers and Pepco has been underperforming. Um, um, the surprise for the past nine months and doesn't look as if it's going to. Um, if that's turning, so the market obviously thinks, or is more favourable towards Mr. Price, and I'm not going to argue with that, so um, I would prefer Mr. Price as well. Ah, all right. Uh, sticking with you, uh, Rikas, uh, there's another question. With a few bull flags, we are surely catching falling knives. Sadly, we don't have imminent antidotes worsened by uh, our obstructed vision of the market. May the panel kindly opinionate whether it's the time to enter real estate stocks like Investic Property Fund and Growth Point Properties, or wait a little longer... Are they still going to bottom? Rikas? Well, I can't answer as lyrically as that question because the short answer is no. Um, I think your general, you know, things like growth point where um, certain sections might be bottoming out, but you're still having um, problems in office. You're still having problems with um, lease renewals, the um, price at which that is done. I don't think you're local property market except for maybe specialist um, whether it be regional like spare or um, product like storage i don't think your general property reits are attractive at all at mm. current prices in current conditions yeah jp uh, if i remember correctly this is not the first time that i've asked you about property stocks and you have long outlined uh, the risks um, that are out there for property stocks. But a lot of people have been saying, you know, they're actually quite cheap and this would maybe be the right time. Uh, what are you making of those property stocks and has your view changed? Could you be entering at the moment? So I think some smaller property companies are still offering a little bit of value. The ones that are trading at a steep discount to their um, tangible net asset value. But at the same time, have loan-to-value ratios that are, say, in the low 30s, not above 40%. Uh, so overall, I'm not positive of the REIT sector, but there are a handful of those smaller companies, and you can normally do a, a Google search and just see which ones have got 
significant discounts to, to net asset value combined with relatively low LTV, loan to value ratios, and rather focus on those. The problem with the ones you mentioned in the bigger uh, property REITs is that generally have got a lot of debt. Their loan to value ratios are, are higher and it's more difficult for them to get out of the troublesome properties like Rikas mentioned, the office sector, for instance, which is still very troublesome at the moment. So with growth in general in the South African economy quite anemic, quite slow, property companies and the outlook for them do not look great. So you really are only looking for the re-rate from the share going from a steep discount to NIV to closer to NIV. But that's a short-term play and that, that's just a little bit of extra uh, juice you squeeze out of the lemon. But it's still a lemon. So mm. that's my view about REITs. Ah, all right. Um, there's a question on commodities. Um, Quite an interesting one. I invested in the Satrix Resi 10 to reduce my risk in investing in individual stocks. But to my dismay, I'm down by 17%. Should I take a different approach and watch the performance of individual resource stocks or just hold on to the ETF? Rikas? Yeah, it's always, when we're looking at the South African market, it's always a choice whether you're going to go into a specific resource counter and by a specific resource, I mean whether you're going to go to somebody, somebody that's overwhelmingly platinum or gold or iron or coal or maybe one or two of those, or whether you're going to go into something more diversified, which has got a um, <clears throat> a basket of commodities, you know, whether it be Glencore or Bulletin or, or South 32. Um, obviously, if you've bought the ETF, you you sort of get that mix and match already. In other words, which both specialist resource and your broader commodity markets. So um, the question is really whether you are positive on the resource cycle or not. Um, and the bigger answer there is how much resource stocks should one have in a South African portfolio? Um, well, if you... Um, and that's not really the question because what is more important is your asset allocation. In other words, if you take a global view, whether it's a South African mining company or a mining company just listed in South Africa or a global resource player, the, the question is how much of my assets should, should I allocate to um, resources? And I think because of the, um, <clears throat> again, your um, resource cycle, it should probably never be more than about 10 or 15%. Mm. I'm just wondering, uh, JP, because uh, we know commodities are very cyclical. Is it wise to have an ETF basket that's full of like all these cyclical uh, stocks? Because most of them have really are in a downward cycle. It's only like gold that's probably like held up all right. Is it wise? Yeah, that's a good question. It's in a certain way, one of um, these special ETFs you get, which are themed ETFs. So a commodity ETF follows the theme of commodities, just like you get innovation ETFs or healthcare ETFs or China ETFs or whatever. And it's important to note that the general rule about an ETF is that ETFs or a passive strategy outperforms most as active managers. But there's an important proviso to that, additional point to make, and that is that it must be a widely diversified ETF. It cannot be a themed ETF. If it's a themed ETF, that theme might do better than the market in general or worse than the market in general. So, so your ETF is not really a passive strategy. You are taking an active bet by using an ETF. 
Mm. And if you buy a commodity ETF, you're not following a passive strategy. You're following an active strategy, utilizing an ETF, betting on commodities. And even though you are more diversified versus buying single commodity stock companies, you are still following and very much focused on and overweight the commodity theme. And most commodities are linked to China. So if China sneezes, your commodity ETF will get a cold and you might end up with the flu. So I would say rather stick with a very diversified ETFs if you do want to follow a passive investment strategy. Just sticking with you, JP. So I already have this Resi 10 ETF. <laughs> do I hold it until I get better returns when we are seeing uh, an upward cycle? Is it too late to cut my losses? So the price you paid for this ETF, Zanati, is actually irrelevant. Yeah. It's only potentially relevant if you think about the taxes. If you sell it, you might crystallize a tax loss that you might offset against another taxable gain. But you should look at the price of the ETF today versus your outlook of the value in the basket of underlying shares and whether you think they will do well or not. At this point in the commodity cycle, as Rickens referred to it, I'm not bullish commodities. I've mentioned this before, but I was right on commodities for seven years when I was very bearish up until 2015. Then I was wrong on commodities <laughs> for the seven years thereafter. And I might just be right for a few years from here on, Zanati. That's what I'm hoping. So I'm not bullish on commodities. Uh, all right. Um, before we get to your stock picks, so there's a question here. A panel's view on Old Mutual and Alex Forbes. Uh, and if you have a preference. Rikas? Well, I don't want to be too glib about it, but Old Mutual has always been full of promise and never delivers, whereas Alexander Forbes was boring and all of a sudden is full of promise. Now, mm-hmm. they've, they've changed strategy. They've moved from purely admin to, to actually managing as well. Um, the market seems to like that strategy. I, I think it's not something I follow very closely as far as Alex Forbes are concerned, but as far as I know, most pleasing results going forward. So they are implementing their their strategy and old mutual a continued disappointment as far as management and implementation of strategy is concerned. Uh, all right. Uh, on your side, um, uh, JP, uh, do you have a preference? Uh, would you be going for both or none of them? Yeah, I would pass on both. They're both relatively low growth shares in the financial sectors, financial services sector. <laughs> I think there are better financial services companies out there. Uh, with a, with better growth profiles, I think the the banks look a bit better. Um, so um, you know, if you want to catch a falling knife, you can even look at transaction capital yeah. <laughs> in the financial services space. If you're optimistic that they might uh, get through their debt issues, um, so that's definitely not boring. But uh, I would pass on Alex Forbes. Alex ah. Forbes. Ah, yes, <laughs> not Alexander, Mitchell. please. All right. Quickly, uh, we don't have a lot of time. I think we'll have about one uh, minute for both of your stock picks. But uh, there's a question here on Omnia. What happened to Omnia today? It's 7% down. Rikas, any uh, important movements there? Well, part of that <coughs> price decline is ex-dividend of 3 rand 75. I'm not sure exactly how ah. much they went down, but that's, but that, but, but yeah, that obviously, um, yeah. Uh, over Ah, All right. Well, let's get to your stock picks. There is a question for JP, but it is very long and we have run out of time. I will keep it in my pocket for next time you're on JP. Uh, your stock pick for today. I'm picking a South African company which actually makes most of its money offshore. And you might not think it makes most of its money offshore. It's Supergroup. Most people think of Supergroup as a South African industrial company. 
but more than half their profits comes from SG Fleet, which is separately listed in Australia. And they also have significant operations in the UK through a network of uh, car dealers that they own there and some um, exposure in Europe as well. And less than half their profits comes from South Africa. So they've done a great job of diversifying away from South Africa. Most companies have not made good acquisitions offshore. So far, they have made good acquisitions. So they're a little bit of an exception to the general rule. Uh, they came out with a trading statement, I think, roughly two weeks ago. So the earnings will be up uh, 20 to 27 percent. So the valuation looks very reasonable, very good capital allocation, stable management team between the CEO and CFO that have been here, there for a number of years now, post some issues they had years ago. So I do think it's a, a solid bet and well diversified across many geographies uh, and already indicating they're going to grow their profits strongly when they come out with results in the coming month. Uh, all right. Uh, Rikas, what are you betting on today? It's a neoclassic company called Illinois Tool Works. Um, it's going to sound incredibly boring, but they are a well-diversified industrial company. They're in aut automotive um, original parts. They're in things like construction and welding. They're in things like producing machines for the foreign food services, metering, cables and fasteners. It, what excites me about the company, apart from the fact that they've increased their dividend again, and they've never decreased their dividend in the past 93 years. Um, so it's an absolute um, dividend aristocrat, as as we call it. In the past 20 years, their free cash flow, um, always more than earnings. Um, it's a big company. They are worldwide and extraordinarily efficiently run. And I think in this kind of market, where one is looking for a bit of safety and possibly a softer than expected landing in the U.S. economy and price-wise as well. Well, that's my pick for tonight. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your analysis today, gentlemen. Do enjoy your holiday tomorrow. Uh, that's all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guests, Rikas Reders from PSG Wealth Reimsig and Jean-Pierre Verstaer from Protea Capital Management. Up next, the close. Stay watching. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.